You're listening to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Episode 5, Lebensqualität. Paul Hanford. In the last episode, I began the day grabbing a coffee with electronic artist Mobile Girl, who told me about how making music for her influences her mood. Then, over in Friedrichstein, boundary-pushing DJ and producer Zure talked about how she learned to put behind her the high school guitar shredders and discover her own musical confidence. Today, join me as I continue my journey, meeting people whose lives and loves weave in and out of the rich tapestry of music that spans across this city and across the years. And through this, I want to learn and share with you why Berlin has such a creative energy. What you can hear is the Turkish market along the canal in Neukölln. This is one of those moments I really look forward to every week. Taking a break from whatever else I'm doing, grabbing a Turkish pastry, stocking up on fruit and veg, the smells of incense and fish, the bustle, it awakens me somehow. And that plays such an often overlooked but essential role in the whole creative process. So I'm just grabbing a quick OJ, then I'm heading up north in the city to meet Ulrika Hager. She's a composer, pianist and sound artist, and she has this uncanny way of capturing atmosphere in her work. I'm interested to find out what for her are the things that get her creativity flowing. She's invited me up to a studio for some tea and cookies. So here, I made you a choice of different oh, amazing. Uh, cookies These look and fantastic. chocolates. Uh, <laughs> mm. This is really good. Mm. It's got ginger. Exactly. Mm. That's a speciality from Switzerland. Mm. I'm such a fan of good nourishment. Since I do music, in fact, as a, as a musician, as a composer, because I always work with musicians who had the same opinion like me. We have to nourish ourselves well while mm. we are producing an album, while we are creating music. Because we are always, when you are creative, even only with your brain, it makes you hungry, you know, mm. greedy for something. You, you need to feed yourself. So we were always cooking, you know, in the beginning when I was working with FM Einheit or Katharina Frank, we were uh, doing our own, f cooking our own food while we were producing for a new record. And all these people always loved to cook also. Mm. Because uh, cooking is a, is a way to meditate, For me, it's a way to meditate, to prepare food, and also for others. I love to prepare food for others. It belongs to me to the process of making music. Mm. And uh, Like a kind of ritual? It's like a kind of ritual, exactly. It's like a ritual. Yeah. It's like sitting, like the English ritual of sitting together at five o'clock and having tea, or the Japanese sitting together with their tea ceremony, or... And so on and so on. All the rituals mm. are uh, referring to that. They're very important. And I think when you produce music, you have to have rituals too. 
like for example for me it is very important in the morning to first meditate and to enjoy this meditation really mm -hmm. and to try to in this meditation I always try to uh, connect myself with the universe or with the kind of feeling which makes me which puts me on another level and doesn't make me think of small problems or something one day I succeed another day I don't blah 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 but the ritual itself mm. is so important to before I start working I need these rituals and during work we need these other rituals for example when I work with my assistants here to finish a production or something it's totally clear that we have lunch together that we have tea time together you know and we celebrate it you know And I, over the years, I, I did kind of educate my co-workers because some of them were not used to that. They were used to coming to the studio and work, 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 and then being thrown out and then the money, bang. I hate that, you know. If you come to a place, it's your lifetime. Mm. So, okay, we are working, but in between you need to nourish yourself and you need to celebrate that. And in very early days, of course, we had this, when we were very, very young, we thought that exploiting our body while doing music belongs to the same process, you know. And on top, maybe drugs. I mean, I never took drugs, but I worked with a lot of people who were completely into drugs also. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't have any pleasure in this because I felt my body being exhausted, Completely exhausted. And it was already exhausted by doing music. Mm. So what sense does it make when you exhaust your body even more through things that are not good for you? I'm not talking about a glass of wine or mm. a glass of whiskey. You know, I'm not talking about things that we enjoy, that we love. But I'm talking about how you exploit your own body to come to a point where you think you can produce good music. And so over the years I discovered, hey, it's so important. Everything we do is important. Okay, so far we've talked about how food can act in a way like a ritual towards making music. But what of how music can be like a ritual itself? Aurika worked as a music therapist and I wanted to know about this. So I was starting to work with uh, socially deprived kids. Yeah. And I, f I started to compose for them, for their feelings that I thought they have, which is uh, loneliness, not being loved enough, aggression, uh, where is my place, and so on and so on. And so I was writing songs for them. And I experienced this great reactions of the kids to the song. They were, in fact, identifying with the song and they were raving on it. They were um, joining in with whatever, dance, uh, drums, whatever. And it was similar to, to what certain pop songs do to you or rock songs when you hear them. And they, uh, I hate Monday. So I don't know, <laughs> other songs where you... Uh, identify with mm. it's written, it's like written for you and you put them on the loudest volume that you can when you listen to them because they represent something that you feel 
Yeah, and I think this is this is what music does, and mm. this is what I found. Uh, this is what I uh, learned to analyze a little bit in my in my studies with music therapy. It's it's the importance of sound for your health. Yeah, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier on as well, and the kind of connection between well-being and freedom as well with music. What is it about music that is so connected with freedom? First, I think that not only music, but a lot of arts um, stand for a certain freedom of expression of a personality, of a, of, of a, of a person. And I think it's something that everybody uh, could have in school already mm. or in kindergarten, um, but in a way that you use it for your own personality, mm. not formatted. I think it has to do with the fact that you can uh, express yourself and be heard at the same time. It's, you make sound, you make noise, you, make, uh, you, you transport something that can reach the heart of people directly. Um, this is not answering your question because it has nothing to do with the freedom. The freedom, in fact, is your stage. It's the stage that you have to express yourself. For example, when I was um, doing pop music, I was working with the Rainbirds for 10 years. Uh, I had the feeling that the stage was the biggest freedom that I had so far. It was my freedom. I met other people who are saying that, oh my God, the stage, you're so exposed. So many people watch you and look at you. That's horrible. And I know also, I know also musicians who have this... Um, stage fear you know mm. and get afraid before but for me it was like going home you know i go <laughs> i know what you mean i, I go the same onto the stage thing, yeah. i'm home yeah. and i'm there and i'm so protected mm. on the stage you know there's Absolutely. something about that i've always found when i whenever i in any kind of performing i suddenly i have no inhibitions whereas in very sort of normal mainstream social circumstances I'm like what do I do what do I say you know, oh but I know this that? feeling mm. I know this feeling for example when you go to a very important party and there are very important people and today you have even the very important 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 people then I'm sometimes feeling like a stranger I'm there and I think gosh I feel more strange than in the smallest village in Japan where I can't <laughs> read anymore mm. because they use only kanjis and and, and where nobody's speaking English, I'm more strange on some of these parties, and I'm very uh, shy there sometimes also. Because I think that has to do with the fact that the people who surround you uh, have another code of expressing. You know, it's another code. It's a code where you have to show your clothes, where you have to be this and that, and where. While when you are on stage, you can show your real personality. You can mm. really show your your talent your message your music everything you know and i think that's a different difference to to social situations where you can be completely shy because you don't speak the same code there anymore i think uh, we all store different things in our brain which fit to what we are doing and i think this is how we 
select, for example. And uh, with me, I experienced very early because I have a father who is a mathemat- mathematician. Okay, yeah. Mm. So for him, when he asks, when he asks me, um, how long did it take you from here to there? And I say, or oh, approximately two hours. And I said, what do you mean, two hours and five minutes, one minute? Two minutes <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Or or <laughs> or I or other things where it's getting more uh, on my nerves, where I really uh, think, why does it have to be so correct? Why does it have to be on the other side? When I'm working on my computer, I'm the most correct person. I see exactly this is aha, and there is aha, aha, and there I have to. And now I'm working with the trials, and I'm working with the syncopes, and I'm working with this, and blah, blah, blah. And the same, correct. I guess for me, it's like um, you need maths to build the foundations of a house so it doesn't fall down, but you need art to make that house a place you'd want to live in. Perfect description. <laughs> This is perfect, exactly, exactly. But when you are a musician or an artist, you have to have a little knowledge of the other side too. You have to have a knowledge about the architecture too, because if not, it also falls. But if you are a little bit more outside the normal pattern, a lot of people don't follow you anymore because they, for them it's easier to be in a very easy structure and uh, to go straight with the carré, with the square, like a square. Right, okay. For a lot of people it's easier to follow square things Mm. while I'm more interested in the in the things which are going first of all over borders then in all directions but still hold. But I want to go further. I want to go uh, there where I find traces of something I didn't know before. And when you want to find traces of your own past, of the past of the universe, of the future, of the left and the right side of the universe, above, underneath, then you can't block yourself with borders or mm. certain structures. And and is a way the you know like um, when you're preparing the food, is that a way to kind of connect the people you work with on on this journey? Ah, that's so wonderful. Yes, absolutely. It is really this. And first of all, also books. Sometimes you know, I I always uh, pay attention to what is on the desk when we work. Mm-hmm. Is there a new book with a Japanese manga? which is very interesting, done by blah, blah, blah. So, or a book which I just discovered and I found it so interesting that I think other people have to read it, but I don't want to impose it, so I just put it somewhere. It's just lying around. Because for me, it's always a whole. To, to work on music is, is like to work on a whole thing, on a Gesamtkunstwerk, you know. And so these, these nourishments with... Uh, food or lunch became also a nourishment with books and films and so on. 
I have to say, I felt so welcomed in talking with Aurika today. She took such good care of creating a good environment for the interview. And it wasn't just like the fresh lemongrass tea and the cookies. It was the way she arranged the chairs that we sat on. And of course, her openness and willingness to t- discuss everything that we talked about. I took away such a strong sense of how using food, meditation, books, and whatever else, she creates this environment around her that stimulates the music that she makes. to explore further the way the environment in Berlin encourages creativity, so I jumped on the U-Bahn and headed towards Foschauerstrasse. I'm just approaching the Michelberger Hotel, positioned along this raw industrial hill between Kreuzberg and Friedrichstein, minutes from the Spree River. The hotel has always had strong connections with music and creativity. They even put on their own festival. I'm about to meet the owners Nadine and Tom Michelberger. I think I want to start by asking them about the hotel's location. There's almost something kind of supernatural about the location of this hotel, mm. I find. <laughs> is there like a kind of a special feeling for you guys about where the location is? Where the location is, yeah. the special feeling is yeah. always the same story. Like when uh, it, it only evolved to this like hub of traffic and like being so well located because when we started in 2008, the construction... There was nothing around and where now the restaurant is, this was our construction office and we were sitting there. Nobody would enter the streets or come along and we were like thinking, is anybody finding us? No. And I was that taking... It was really like, Niemann's Land. It was really? like... Um, and I took a, like a piece of wood and wrote it. We are building a hotel just for like the, the few passing people like to let know like something is happening here. On the one side you have Kreuzberg, on the other side Friedrichshain, you know our favorite areas in Berlin just across the bridge here since forever around uh, Schlesisches Tor which used to be you know like 10 years when we started there was like no tourists there was the water yeah. gate maybe just opening or have been there were it was just that's where like you would you know Berliners like go on the weekend or during the week or whenever they want to go and, and do something and just the richness and the diversity also compared to other developments in the city it just feels like uh, you know the the whole you know, downsides to a, a rapid development of a city like this uh, in Kreuzberg and in certain areas it, it remains like as slow as possible because you have such a strong and rich uh, community that is there and that is not easily lets it sh- itself being pushed out so we were very excited actually to be in this space in this like kind of Niemann's land in between just those two bridges and but that that much traffic is now happening was not I asked the couple about how the idea of the hotel came about. My roommate, I I described the situation, okay, so many spaces, what if we would have a big house and, you know, everyone does, you bring your friends, all of these, like, romantic, you know, many people had at that time. And then we was like, okay, what are we going to do with all the space? And then my roommate said, well, then you just do a hotel. And I said, well, it's actually... Interesting, good idea and the more I thought about it and then the day later I told her about it. we exchanged and it just like kind of made sense so that was like in 2003 so that pretty much the since I'm in Berlin and very early on the hotel Berlin was the inspiring factor and then yeah and had the space to think about these uh, things like the physical space and also the time space 
and the crazy development Berlin went through the past uh, 10 years you know until let's say 2006 it was kind of still in this bubble yeah of like even you know the Germans didn't care for Berlin everyone was like laughing but here just everyone came for very different reason or very different reasons or different but they all kind of felt like you know they didn't feel like belonging anywhere else so just, that was kind of the melting pot of like people who still tried to figure it out and I think this time Berlin gave a lot of people including me just you know help creating spaces like this because you're really what we're doing here is like we're building alternatives in the world that gets bigger and bigger and more you know a lot of things get standardized companies get bigger I think it's uh, you know it's really an important and beautiful opportunity to create alternatives that also reach globally without traveling globally you know so it, I think it's just um, um, a beautiful thing Berlin contributed it was really a time of 10-15 years where there was no economic pressure on the city so everyone could just really hang out and did and hang did. out yeah. in cafes and studying <laughs> and, and, and because, reading cafes yeah and I just knew it, it cannot work the way my family you know it's like you cannot repeat the, the history of the generations before whatever study then you get a job and da, da, da. it's just like it, already back then it was clear you know a lot of things go wrong so what do we do to make a difference or to change that or and it's clear and so it's with the hotel it was with the festival that's what drives us to really use the opportunities we now have to create alternatives to give people choices mm. because a lot of people think they don't have choices but the, the choices are you know it's all there it just needs to be done uh, I get the impression you built something that on one level is a philosophical uh, place of well-being for other people uh, to show them what they can do and you also built your own home at, with it well, well uh, formulated. We'll see. <laughs> <Your family. Yeah. laughs> and then to celebrate, to top it all off, you got married last year. Or even longer, no? Isn't it? Oh, one and a half uh, years. One and a half years, something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were married. <laughs> the moment when I proposed was very special, but the, the fact that we're going to. It just felt very early. It's not a, to us. It's not a. We were married in so many ways, yeah. like so to speak. In all this company, we share everything together, fifty percent, and yeah, so it's everything was already like very connected. This was not like a, my romantic wish. No, someone. We didn't tell anyone. Yeah. It was just us in Kreuzberg and this like really shitty Standesamt yeah, but with this one end, guy. It was, it was really beautiful, but it was just us. And then we pretty much promised my grandma because uh, my grandma which is so dear to me since always and uh, she was the first time when um, she met she loves Tom of course and she um, when we would call she would like ask when do you marry her when do you marry her (laughs) so that pressure piled over the years (laughs) and at some point he needed even to write her like a letter of confirmation that he's really doing it because she grew older and older but the funny thing is was I I, I told her it's like we're not going to marry because otherwise you'll you'll just go you know because that's she was Mm -hmm. kind of waiting for all of her kids to like be in good hands and th- that's how it then happened you know it's like five days later she died <laughs> and <laughs> it was, was like um, really the thing is that um, he proposed and then of course time passed mm-hmm. passed passed and then um, like at one morning I was just waking up I said hey let's do this now and um, let's find the date uh, from the Standesamt and I just Two go days later, yeah. and then um, the Standesamt guy just said yeah okay uh, you could actually come to, uh, on Friday someone cancelled we're like great we come on Friday <laughs> And then we went there just on ourselves and uh, easy done. 
And then like literally two days later, we got a call from home. Hey, um, grandma is not good. You should come. And then we come. And thankfully, we could give her uh, the information then. And she was like, great. Uh, you, you really were like waiting for it very long. <laughs> <laughs> Super nasty. Although she was on the deathbed. And it took us like a couple of days until guiding her into her transition. And uh, so she got it, and that was giving her peace. And then we found out it was this Friday day. It was exactly the her marrying date of uh, him and her husband. So it definitely was kind of full circle. circle. And meant yeah. to be, as it is, uh, everything with him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, that's, that's kind of epic. This organic approach to everything inspired the couple to put on their own music festival, People Festival. Um, yeah, so we just started talking about um, the beginnings of People Festival, the People mm. idea. Can you tell me how this came about? I was stopping last uh, spot with that over all these years of um, having all these different um, musicians and people with us, it allowed us also to form beautiful relationships with them and we bonded with a few of them very deeply and so we always um, kind of found also work, ways of working together and at some point this idea evolved um, when we were by chance at the Funkhaus um, because in 2011 we did a little festival here in the courtyard also like together with these friends and um, somehow we always had the wish like to continue and to have it um, uh, to do that again but never as a repetition like from what here yeah and there we just you know meeting and becoming friends with being with very with musicians uh, for so long you just like realize we're kind of like out of the this whole music world and you're you know detached in many ways because you're just kind of, you know, being friends and living, enjoying the, the, the process of music making and being uh, in there and having the ability to, you know, host and do s spontaneous things here in the hotel, in the courtyard. And we just saw an opportunity there. Okay, let's let's expand on this idea because the 2011 one was uh, called Michelberger Mystery Music Festival where we didn't um, announce any artists and it was just a you know thousand people in the courtyard over the weekend and it was just a really beautiful element of like surprise and back then it was uh, an element because we couldn't uh, announce uh, the names so because we just kind of the labels would like uh, get us in trouble because uh, like all right. our friends would play and um, this was like outside of the regular touring and not official in that sense because it's private yeah and so yeah. like oh do, how do we get around this and then uh, the mystery element came in it's just a tr it's a trusted space where it's not about you know promoting or creating musical careers or it's just really about you know sitting in the breakfast room and someone asking can i play here tonight you know just it's just meaningful relationships that really uh where we connect and we have the you know even f almost feel the, the the responsibility to do it you know because to really add to the offering and to share all of this because everyone is happy the audience is happy the artist is happy that he has a different environment where he doesn't need to perform where he's not expected to perform in a certain way and so you know looking at the phone calls it became clear we said okay if we do something building on this mystery event I mean what does the mystery do it's not about you know being pretentious and like oh we don't uh, talk about it but what it mainly does it takes all of the expectations away from the artists so they can really freely create i mean in, in what an environment how would it be if you know we would 
fill the hotel again with like a hundred uh, artists and let them do whatever they want to do and in 2016 it was really like probably you know we told everyone you don't have to perform and 50% were like yeah we're going to come for the week but then but let's see and maybe not and so it was like really up in the air and um, because somehow we felt it felt right to really give them all freedom not just creatively give them the spaces you know hold the frame have the production in place have everything organized uh, and then just let them make the, the decisions and then you know towards the end of the week we tried to come up with some sort of schedule because clearly even the audience didn't know what happens in each room the artist needed to know where to go and from where which studio to which studio to move so that was just a very beautiful enriching experience not just for the audience but mainly and foremost really for the artists because they all during that week rediscovered many things that they either have forgotten or haven't experienced in a long time so it was like a very rejuvenating experience this entire week I'm in the hotel courtyard now today it's like a winter spa there's a sauna cabin wood burners and fur draped over seating this is where the first festival took place there's such a passion for how this hotel is put together it was so fascinating hearing today about how the environment of berlin at the time and particularly the romanticism helped create this After leaving the Mickelberger, I walked along the Spree and then through Gorlitzer Park, and I thought about my encounters today. I'm just on my way back home now, meeting Ulrika Hager and Tom and Nadine Mickelberger today. They're so in tune with harnessing the conditions where creativity can just naturally flourish. Talking with them reminded me of the sheer value of visiting markets, browsing dusty bookshops, how important it is that we need food cooked with love, we need to spend aimless days dreaming in cafes, we need to go skinny dipping in Krumalanka and conversations that go right through the night, we need to fear the deadline less and value ourselves more. I really feel that these are the things that unlock those good ideas, because at the heart of it, that feeling you get when the elements around you make you feel inspired, are as important to making music as any technical or academic knowledge. You've been listening to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Music by Tom Giddens. This episode is being hosted by Bear Radio, and you can find other podcasts from Berlin on bearradio.org. And if you want to join me on the socials, you can also follow on Instagram at forward slash Lost and Sound in Berlin, and on Facebook at forward slash Lost and Sound in Berlin. Thanks for listening, and catch you again soon. <laughs>